I'm reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 19 and verse 30. Jesus said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. In your mind's eye, imagine an ancient Greek king standing on a hilltop surveying a vast battlefield. He sees the battle go back and forth. He sees individuals, soldiers, and groups of soldiers engaged in an intense battle. Blood is being shed, and suddenly the word reaches the king that the opposing king, the one on the other side, has surrendered. There's no more need for any individual skirmishes or battles. And so at that moment, that king standing on the hilltop, he cries out, Tetelestai, it is finished. And then that cry is carried down onto the battlefield. And what he's saying is, while there are still individual skirmishes, there's no need for them. Because the battle is over. It is finished. Tetelestai. Imagine another scene, an ancient uh, situation in Greek, in, 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 in Greece, in the, and, and there's an accountant, and, and there's a major corporation, and they have just gone through all the numbers, the income and the expenses, the balance sheet and the cash flow sheet and all the things, and all the numbers match perfectly. Every cent, every dollar, whatever their currency was called, it is all in place. Everything matches. And so that accountant, he might take the books and close them, and he says, Tetelestai, it is finished. It's completed. And that's the word that the Greek New Testament uses as it takes the Aramaic saying. Jesus spoke in Aramaic, and it puts it in the Greek New Testament. It takes the word Tetelestai, it is finished. You know, it's important sometimes to study the meaning of words. And to, because this word doesn't just mean, okay, it's over, I'm going to die now. It's, uh, it's kind of, you know, my suffering and pain is over. The word has the meaning of total, complete fulfillment. Something has come to its completion. You could say God's love plan for the world has reached its apex. The, the reconciliation of the world is completed. I'm, I'm talking not about... God's reconciliation towards the world because that was never needed. God never had an axe to grind with the world. But the world's reconciliation to God has been completed. Except one thing, we need to preach it to the world. It is finished. And so the finished work of Jesus, you say, was it finished at the cross? It was actually finished before time. We sometimes forget that. And today on Good Friday, as we think about what Jesus did on the cross, of course, that is mighty and powerful. But the finished work of Jesus was finished before time began. It says in, it was a done deal, Revelation 13, 8. Christ is the eternal Lamb of God slain from the creation of the world. So it was not an afterthought. It was there from the beginning of time. One of the most powerful scriptures 
for me in the entire Bible, they're all powerful, is Ephesians 1, 4, where it says, He chose us, God chose us in Him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Think about that. Before Adam and Eve did their thing, before Noah got all drunk, before Abraham lied a little bit, before David and Bathsheba, before the mess in your family and in your neighborhood and in your life, before any of that happened, before any of that, God chose you in Jesus Christ that in the end everything was going to be all right. He chose you to be holy and without blame before Jesus Christ in his love. Oh, that's good news. I know you can't shout much with your face mask, but uh, just wiggle your shoulders or do something. And so it was finished before time, but the finished work had to be played out in time and space. That was very necessary. The Bible even uses the word necessary. It was necessary for this to happen. So it had to happen in time and space, not just a concept. Galatians 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So it happened in time and history. And, and let me just highlight, when we talk about the finished work of Christ, we're not just talking about the cross. The cross is included, but it's so much more. We're talking about the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us, had to happen. And to people, some of the ancient church fathers, this was a very big deal, that God identified with humanity. It was just as important for salvation as what happened at the cross or at the resurrection. It was pre-planned, but it had to happen. Christ had to suffer and die. Luke 24, it was necessary for him to die. Sin, which is described as a disease, as a sickness, had to run its full course. And, and he took our sin, and so the poison of sin ran its full course in Jesus Christ on Good Friday, 2,000 years ago, and it brought him to death. That's what sickness does to you. Eventually it kills you, and it had to run its full course in him so that he could fully be our Savior. Christ had to descend into Hades, into hell, to conquer death and to defeat hell. This is a very big thing, that Christ went into the dark corridors of hell and death, and he took the keys of death and hell and forever defeated death and hell. That is wonderful. You know, the church fathers called that the harrowing of hell. Well, what does that mean? That's an old English word. It means raking. Picture those sharp daggers on a sharp metal rake. It was like Jesus went into hell and he just raked it. <laughs> he says, demons, you are defeated. Devil, you have been defanged. You have lost your power. And he took the keys of death and hell. This guarantees our victory. Without that, we have no guarantees. But Christ is our guarantee. Christ had to rise again as the first of many. His resurrection ensures our resurrection. You know, one of the greatest forces on people everywhere in all cultures is the fear of death. Many of the great architectural buildings, pyramids, Taj Mahal, they were all in some form or shape a commemoration or a memorial to a death. 
Uh, that's why archaeologists are busy today because they dig up old burial sites and people sometimes brought their gold and silver and their weapons and their things and were buried with that because they were concerned about death. There's a fear of death. The Bible talks about it. But you see, his resurrection means because he lives, we will live also. His resurrection is the guarantee that when this mortal body of yours, it goes from dust to dust, there is a resurrection morning, and you shall have a new resurrection body and forever be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's more in the finished work. Christ had to ascend to the right hand of the Father. History had to be, be played out. And there Jesus Christ is now, and he is there ruling until all his enemies have been put under his feet. <laughs> I love 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where it says this is the end. When, I, when Jesus Christ gives the kingdom to the Father forever and every principality, every power, every authority has been put under his feet and Christ shall be all and in all, I tell you, that's part of the finished work. But there's more. Christ was destined to pour out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost because this idea of Christ and Christ's love being displayed on the earth it wasn't a one-time thing for 2,000 years ago. There was a perpetuity to it. And so he would pour out his Spirit upon believers, and many of those believers are you here today and you watching in different parts of the world. You have received the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. That was also planned from the beginning. And then finally I would say, there are many other things I could say, but Christ's second coming to establish his kingdom and to make everything new, everything made new. Oh, think about that. Some of you can just kind of lift your hands and wave your hand or do something and say, yes, I see everything made new. So all these things are not afterthoughts or things. No, no. It was there from the beginning, before time. But it's being played out. Now, the finished work means that religion is finished. And I mean a certain kind of religion. There are different kinds of religion. We'll get to that in a moment. But I'm talking about the kind of religion that is a love affair uh, with, with, with religious ceremonies and rituals. This fascination that is so a part of humanity, fascination with rules and rituals and keeping score. You know, religion is about keeping score, how you are doing and how others are doing. And if you can keep score in such a way that you feel like, well, I'm not doing perfect, but I feel like I'm a little bit better than others. It gives you this feeling of, uh, hey, I'm doing good here. You feel a sense of prestige. That, that love affair is over. That fascination is over. Because, and it's meaningless, because Christ has once and for all made us acceptable. The, he's, we sing about it in songs, but sometimes we have a tougher time to digest it when the preacher is preaching about it. We, we, we sing settle. It was settled long ago, settled long ago. The old debt was settled long ago. So why are we trying to keep score? It's been settled once and for all. I think I put this on your screen here. Attempts to please a supposed displeased deity are irrelevant. 
irrelevant. It's just a futile exercise. This is, so everything we do, we're not doing to please God as if he was displeased. That's not why we are doing helping persecuted Christians. And I hope to this, this year, as soon as we're allowed to travel, they ask me to come to Geneva, to the U.S., uh, to the United Nations uh, headquarter there, and I, we, we'll, we'll talk a little bit to the people there on some trip in the world. Well, we're not doing that because we, we're striving to please God. We're not. Our campaigns right now is going on to the nation of Vietnam. I think we just passed the half million mark of, of Vietnamese people who have seen at least one of our gospel services I mean, it's awesome. We are, we are heading, we just passed over 8 million, in fact, worldwide who have seen this. We're not doing this so that, if you want to clap, go ahead. Well, we're not doing this so that we hope to, oh, we're going to please God if we do this. No, that, that's not, we're not, that's irrelevant. The re why, reason why we pray, the reason why we want to come together and meet here, and the, the reason I'm up here preaching is not like, oh, I have this great burden I have to preach because if I don't do that, I'm called to do this. It's not about that at all. It's not about trying to please a displeased deity. It's about that he loved us so much. And when we taste his love, we want to share his love with others. It becomes natural. We pray, we give, we participate. We take on projects, not, oh, if I do one more thing, God will be happy with me. No, 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 we're not going down that dark road. No, he is already pleased because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But we do what we do because of his great love for us. You see, this idea that God seeks retribution, it's a dark path. People go down that dark road. They find themselves constantly thinking that they're doing God's will by judging others and judging themselves. Jesus has enlightened us. How many know we are enlightened by Jesus? Uh, to the true nature of God. Um, he, he shows us that God is love. You know, you know I, I said in one of my teachings online that religious observances may be good, but when we think that religious observances make us holy before God, that, that's a head fake. We're fooling ourselves. Paul says, the things that I thought really put me on top, the things that I thought really qualified me to be a leader in my religion, he says, all those things that, that kind of gave me that sense of prestige and esteem in the religious world, he said, I count it all as dung. You know, the, the word for religion is the word relegere. It means to bind up, and that's why I said there's a good, good kind of religion when you're bound up in love for God. So that kind of religion we want when we receive his love and then we get so hooked on his love that we're clinging, holding up, we are bound up to his love. But I'm, I'm talking about another form of religion that we say that Jesus came to end, and that is where we're constantly trying to, to bind people up and do this and do that, and people do things they don't even want to do to make themselves look good. No, the fact of the finished work of Jesus Christ is that we are accepted before God because of the effort of somebody else. We are not accepted before God because of our effort, but the effort of someone else. Tell me, what's the name of that someone else whose effort on our behalf has been accepted? His name is Jesus Christ. Oh, I put this to strive to be accepted by a holy God. I'm not talking about our own effort. It's become null and void. It's like, why? Why? Now, this message, I will admit, it's a little hard to digest, especially for people who kind of enjoy that a smug feeling 
And we've all had that, the smug, self-satisfactory feeling of religious prestige. That we somehow, we would, because we're too smart to ever vocalize it, but we might inwardly think, well, you know, God loves that person, but of course, I'm, I'm further along. You know, there's a certain, certain smug feeling. Don't raise your hand if you've ever had it. <laughs> but, but if you've had that, you might find this hard to swallow. But I say keep swallowing, keep digesting, because the truth of the finished work of Jesus is that God takes unacceptable people. He takes people who are sinful, who have failed, and he makes them acceptable and beloved in Christ Jesus. That's the fact of the finished work. Now, now, I got to give you more. Forgiveness of sin is, of course, in the finished work of Christ. I put the communion emblems right here, and you have yours. I hope that you watching online, you have them where you are. And uh, the forgiveness of sin is profoundly connected to the cross. It says in Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Talking about what Christ did on the cross. So that, that is a deep connection. But, but let me probe. How many are ready to go a little deeper? Go like this with me if you're ready to kind of go a little, take a little dive. Okay, we can't just swim on the surface. Sometimes you've got to go down a little bit. And so let me ask you this. How did God forgive sin before Jesus died on the cross? Well, you say, you say, well, some might say, well, it was only kind of an advance payment, and I think there's, a, there's an argument to be made for that. God knew that Jesus would take the sins of the world. And then that, but I don't think that's the whole answer. I think the, the, the Scripture gives us something at least as powerful, and that is God has always been in the business of forgiveness. God has always been a forgiving God. Why? Because of God's nature. Uh, you know, the, the Greek word, uh, the Hebrew word is hesed, which means loving kindness. Uh, you know, um, we talk about Beth, Bethesda, Beth hesed, the house of mercy, the house of love is the meaning of that. Beth hesed, Bethesda. Uh, God has always been a loving God. So, for example, the story of Hosea talks about God's love so powerfully where, where Hosea becomes a picture of God and when his wife Gomer is a prostitute and keeps walking away and keeps every time falling away and, and, and maybe everything in Hosea says, oh, you know, forget it, forget it. Wash your hands of the whole situation. But, but he, God says, Hosea, no, you take her back. And what God is saying, I'm like that. You may have failed, but I'm a forgiving God. It is God's nature. We see it in Noah. Yeah, he got drunk, but he got forgiven. We see it in Abraham and Samson and David and Solomon. God is a forgiving God. And you know, you can see in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because some people make this all at the cross and all at the cross. No, God has always been a forgiver. But the cross was coming. It was planned from before time. So, you know, when Jesus preached his first sermon, he said, this is for the brokenhearted. I'm bringing freedom to the captives. I'm liberating the bruised. And then he said in Luke 4.21, he ended by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Everybody say today. today. 
He didn't say, no, 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 I'm, I'm just preaching this now, but of course you can't really receive it till, till I die on the cross. Wait, wait till the cross, because just when I get to the cross, then you can get it. No, he, he said, no, right now. Right now you can get it. Remember when the lame man came down through the roof? You remember that story? Maybe you heard it in Sunday school. Maybe you heard it in a regular service. It's a, worth, it's a story worth uh, uh, contemplating. And when he comes down in front of Jesus on his bed, he is sick in his body. And that's, of course, important. But most of all, he needs forgiveness of sins. So Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. He, he didn't say, but, 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 but wait, you, you, but, but wait, but wait. You have to wait till the cross, of course. I, I was just saying it. No, he says, right now, right now. And so the cross hadn't played out yet. The blood hadn't been shed yet. But God's loving mercy is there. Now, having said all that, the cross, which is the focus of what focus all the time, but it's Good Friday. The cross is the eternal guarantee that God forgives sin. It's like the apex. It's like the ultimate depiction of God's love. I found myself... In, in the gospel campaigns we hold around the world, there's a scripture that I hardly ever, if I go back 20 years ago, I hardly ever quoted this scripture verse, but nowadays I find, me, I find myself quoting it all, all the time. I don't tell the people that I'm quoting from the Bible very often when I preach to Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims. I don't say Romans or Revelation or John. They don't even know what those things mean. I just speak the word out. But I find one of the verses I often speak is this one. I'll give it to you from John. 1 John 4, God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. In other words, how, how was it manifested? That God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That's the incarnation of Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But then it says, in this is love. Not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. That's Good Friday. I find myself, this is love. So, so, so when I say that God's has said, has always been there. God has always been a loving God. Yes, I say all that. He, he forgave from the, from the first pages of the Scripture, from the beginning of time. But, but the guarantee, the ultimate revelation is what happened at the cross of Jesus. Uh, he, and, and remember, we do well to remember, it's for the whole world. John wrote a couple of chapters earlier, he says, and his blood was shed for us, but not for us only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, I'm going to go a little deeper still. Are you ready to go a little deeper still? Now, now, here's a question for some people. Some people, this is not even a question, but some of you it's a question, depending, you know, a little bit what you've been exposed to. So I'm going to put it on the screen. Some people say, should Christians ask forgiveness for sin now? Uh, and, and, you know, we, we're teachers of God's grace, and so this comes up. I mean, Jesus took all sins from the Garden of Eden to Young Street, Toronto. <laughs> from Adam and Eve to your family in Myanmar and in Indonesia and in Africa and in Kenya or Europe, wherever you're watching. He took all those sins, right? So, so people say, Should, do we need to ask God to forgive our sin? Well, there's two options, two ways. So, so, so let me lay it out. Option one, I suppose, would be some people say, well, you know, I just ask God many times a day to forgive my sin. You better be better safe than sorry. So they're constantly talking about that. And you know, I think there's a strong scriptural backing that that makes you very sin conscious. 
you, you're so sin conscious, you can't help but sinning all the time. And the more you think about sinning, the more your sin is like if you think too much about donuts, you'll eat donuts. So it's better not to think about them. Forget the donuts. Think about the holes instead. Don't even think about the holes because that makes you think of the donut. I, I, I'm just saying that, that something, so, so, that, so I think that, you know, righteousness, that's the essence of the Christian life. So we should be thinking about Christ as my righteousness. Now, there are others then who would, who would say, no, you should, never, you, should never ask, you should never ask God to forgive your sins. And they say, you can, it's an insult to God because Jesus took it all. And, 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 and many people who say, teach God's grace. And I'm a teacher of God's grace, as is Pastor Nathan. You know, they take that stand. You know, I've been thinking a lot about that because, uh, and I haven't said a lot about it through the years, but I've been thinking about it. And I come to the conclusion that whole argument is senseless. Sometimes it's better not to get into an argument or discuss anything because it doesn't make a hill of bean difference. You're looking at me funny now. Here's what makes a difference. We come to God vulnerable, open, just as I am. Why? Because of his unconditional love for us. We come boldly. We don't cower in fear and think, oh. No, we come boldly, confident, because we know we are accepted in the beloved. And some people, some people may want to mention something. I suppose maybe if you have a special addiction that is binding, you may say, Jesus, this is troubling me, and I want you to help me with this. And I, I, I acknowledge this, Jesus, help me. Maybe if you're, if you're addicted to gossip, you know, sometimes in church, some people can become addicted to gossip. They are off opioids, but they're on gossip. You know what I mean? So it might be good. You could say, Jesus, uh, I, I, I'm so tempted to embellish when I talk about other people. I kind of stretch it a little bit, and then I kind of minimize anything wrong with me and Jesus I, I just thank you for helping me with this that you you paid for this sin on the cross I thank you or, or, or you know so some may do I, in other words I don't want to argue but whatever helps you but the important thing to know whatever way if you come to God and say I'm not going to mention anything God knows everything and Jesus has already paid for my sins my sins have been forgiven on the cross and I just say thank you Jesus I receive it wholesale either which way the important thing is to know that God's love has washed over you God's love has made you cleansed and more than that his love gives you power so that the addict doesn't have to be an addict anymore and the gossiper doesn't have to gossip anymore because if any person is in Christ that person is a new creation give the Lord praise for that that's the that's the important thing and, 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 and to know that the forgiveness matter, this whole business of forgiveness of sin, has been dealt with. It's finito. It's the finished work of Christ. And that's where a temptation comes in. We can be tempted to think that God forgives us the moment we pray. And, and especially, let, let me tell you how this works. You know, if you ever do something wrong, maybe you lost it, you had a temper tantrum, you said some things you shouldn't have said, whatever, whatever happened. Call it a sin or a shortcoming, call it what you wish. You know, what happens then is, like Adam and Eve, this is nothing new under the sun, we feel a little bit ashamed, right? And so you want to hide. You want to hide. Nothing new, that's what Adam and Eve did. Oh, let's go and hide. And, and we feel that. So then, in a certain you know, Christian setting, people think that, oh, I'm really going, oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God. And they start crying and they're bawling and boo-hooing and, oh, God, I bring it to you. 
And then suddenly they feel, oh, I, I know God's forgiven me. And that's where the problem comes. Because then they think in their head, oh, he forgave me because I cried so much. It was all my bawling and crying and begging and groveling. That's why I broke through to forgiveness. See, maybe you needed to bawl and squall, so go ahead and do that. But you didn't do, need to do it for God's sake. It wasn't like God was waiting for the measure of bawling and squalling to reach the right level, and then he said, okay, I'm releasing it now. No, forgiveness of sin has been provided in the finished work of Jesus. So don't ever be tempted if you found yourself like you were a little bit under anxiety and stress. Don't think that your stress did anything other than kind of maybe vent something from you. As far as God is concerned, Jesus Christ became the Lamb of God from before time began, and you are forgiven. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> okay. Now, now here's something else. Are you, can you handle some more? The finished work is still being finished in me. See, I, don't, I never like to preach anything unless I, I kind of feel that for me and for hopefully you, it has some practical strength to it. And so what I'm preaching today helps us. How? Well, it gives us a great sense of security and boldness that we don't have to always be worried, oh, is God, is God happy with me? Is God? No, no, you don't have to worry about that. You, you say, you, you pull on Jesus. You see yourself in him. Fear of death, which I think can beset Christians, even good spiritual Christians can be set by that. This message ought to help you to say, well, I'm going to live as long as I can on this earth to be a blessing and reach out to people, build the church of Jesus Christ. But if I die one day, I am in that moment present in the Christ. I am forever with the beloved. Oh, praise God. Amen. So it gives us that. But then there's another part of this. Some people can become careless, you know. Oh, oh, Jesus did it all. Hallelujah. Oh, it's the finished work of the cross. It's all, it's all done. And they become careless. But you know, the finished work of Jesus Christ is still working in you and I. And if you don't believe me, I mean, it's still working in me. Tina knows that. Don't laugh too hard. I suppose your spouse knows that as well. Uh, uh, you don't have to ask. My co-workers know that. I, and, and I don't snicker now because I suppose your co-workers know that, that we can still grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yeah, the work of Jesus is finished, but we still need to grow in that. We know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are complete in him. That's so beautiful. Oh, I know that. But, but I'm freed from dead works. I, I don't have to try to impress God with religious performances. I know that. But that doesn't make me sloppy or careless or like, oh, whatever. Who cares anyhow? No, I'm in a process and so are you. Look at your neighbor right now. We are in a process of being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. It's finished. We are secure in him, but he is still at work in us more and more and more and more and more. Doesn't make us sloppy, the famous scripture. You know the first part of this scripture, but pay close attention to the second part. By grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourself. It is the gift, gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Well, that, that's great. But then it says, for we are his workmanship. He's working on you. 
He, he's by His Holy Spirit working so that the finished work will be more and more finished in you and in me. Uh, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So it doesn't make us sloppy or careless. We say, God has prepared good works for me beforehand, as planned, that I should walk in them. Oh, I said, okay, well, it makes me, whew, I'm alert. I'm a part of something. I'm a part of something. The finished work of Jesus Christ gives me a message to the world. I have a message to tell the world that is, that is kind of contrary to all religion. I tell people, uh, you know, I'm not here to police the world's sins. I'm not the sin expert. I don't have a doctorate in sin. I don't have a doctorate or, or I'm not your police. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ took your sin. He conquered it. I'm not here to tell you to deal with your sins because that's too mighty of a big task for you to do. Some people try to preach and say, come and deal with your sin or your sin will deal with you. I guess it already has dealt with you if you got to that point and you're trying to deal with it any further. It's not going to help you. But the good news is not that you can now come and deal with your sin and you're kind of doing the heavy lifting and Jesus is helping you a little bit on the side. No, the good news is that he dealt with sin. He became sin for us. That's the message of Good Friday. Oh, and so, so our message is we proclaim to the world that you are accepted to God because of Jesus Christ, that he defeated death, hell, sin, shame, and regret, and guilt, and everything else, and religion is irrelevant and welcome to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Tetelestai! Say it with me. Tetelestai! It is finished. It is completed. I say to you today, we're going to take the Lord's table, but first I want to share the dream the Lord gave me. But let me say to you first, when we take the Lord's table, tetelestai, it is finished. The prison doors are open. In fact, if we really dig deep enough, that prison that we thought was there was never there. It was a prison in our imagination, but that imagination is gone, and we have been enlightened, and we see that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So I announce to you watching anywhere in the world, watching on television, and here today in this auditorium, your prison doors are open. You walk into freedom, whether your prison is opioid addiction, whether your prison is some other form of addiction, whether your prison is a life of darkness and gloom, Jesus has lit up your life. He is the light of the world. He is your light, and it shines in you. I announce to you the prison doors of sickness and disease and slavery of religion. They are torn down, and you are free. Eternal life is yours. By his stripes you were healed. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. And by the wounds in his body there is healing from cancer, from arthritis, from diabetes. There is new life. And he who believes in Jesus has life. And this is life eternal. That you know God and the one God sent, Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. You know, the way Pastor Nathan and I are, we, we, somebody said to me, people have asked me lately, uh, who researches your sermon? Who does the research for your sermon, Pastor Peter? They think I'm so busy. I'm on TV every day. And I said, well, what? Yes, don't you know that nowadays all the modern churches, they have researchers? 
Someone told me one pastor, you probably all know who he's at. He's nine researchers to come up with good illustrations so he can be funny. Well, Pastor Nathan and I, we're old school, you know, so we, we kind of we believe that God will give us something that will burn in our own heart. <laughs> I mean, maybe you like the other way better. In fact, you know, whatever way, but we don't have committees like that. And so when I give you a message like this, it's kind of, you can kind of know anytime. It's been, it's been marinating in me for, for a little while. You know, I just don't, uh, I don't just say, let's get the committee together and do you have something funny? Do you have, can I start with a joke? Find some good joke. You have a special bonus for the book, uh, joke finder in the, on the church staff. You get $100 just to find a good opening joke. We, we don't do that. I, I, are you okay with us or you want to kind of, is that all right? I don't know, maybe you want, pa- but, but that, that's the vogue. That's the style. You'd be surprised. Well, well we more kind of, I kind of believe, so, so somebody said to me, a very prominent Christian leader said to me, who, who, who writes your sermons? I said, what? What? Writes my sermons? I, I said, yeah, well, you, you must have people who, who, who writes, write your stuff. What do you think, I'm just a parrot up here? I'm just here, you know, no, I, I write it, I put down notes, and I, I move it around, and I, and I say, well, how, how can I get this the best way out? But it's all for me. So, so if you don't like it, I guess, it's what you're going to get. So I can't, I can't, and Pastor Nathan is the same. Come on, give Pastor Nathan a good hand. We love him so much. And so... Naturally, these thoughts, I've been, I've been thinking about all these things, about the finished work of Christ. So, uh, you know, sometimes in the morning, before the sun has risen, you're kind of dreaming. You can dream something. Sometimes you have something crazy because you had uh, some heavy pasta or something. You're kind of... But, you know, God can speak to us in dreams. So I was... I, I don't know whether I was awake. I was waking up, and then I was like... A little bit slumbering, and then I woke up. But the Lord spoke to me this morning. And, and of course, this message was in, in, my, in my whole being. I was thinking about it. And here's how it looked to me. It was like I saw Jesus. I didn't see his face, but it was like his hands were out, and there were nail prints. And he looked at me this morning. And he said to me, Peter, what do you want? So first I thought it was just for me, not for you. But I'll explain to you why. Peter, what do you want? You know, that was an interesting question. Because Jesus said that to people in the Bible. So I was thinking, kind of in my going in and out of sleep, I was thinking, what do I want? And, and you know, many words I thought, you know, I want to please God. But I thought, this is, no, no, doesn't sound quite right. Because I, I, the pleasing of God is by Jesus. What do you want, Peter? And I thought, well, I want favor. And I know we have that theme, resurrection favor. So, so I thought, well, no, no, I can't. That's not what I want either. I already have that. I already have that. And then I thought, well, I say, God, I want success. But you know, honestly, at that moment this morning, early, early, it felt kind of stupid to say, God, I want success. Jesus, I want you to make me successful. I thought, it's not really what I want. I mean, we need success to do things. Or to say, Jesus, I, even thought, I need more money for the gospel. But if I'm kind of stupid to say that, I said, I'm not going to tell Jesus I need more money for the gospel. He knows that already. <laughs> you know, it was just a moment for me where I kind of, it was kind of an honest moment there. I'm not that I'm, I'm honest all the time, but I mean, I had to kind of look at the question. I said, of course, we, we need millions. We need millions. We need people who are giving, and we have that. And, and then I thought, well, I, 
I need to open doors. I gotta open doors. You know, many things like that can come to your mind. And of course, I thought it just doesn't seem right. So you know what, what I said to Jesus? I said, Jesus, more than anything, what I want, I want to be a part of what you are doing in the world right now. That's what I want. I want to be your co-worker now in the world. Because I thought, when I said that, then I got up, and this dream was kind of, this thinking was on me, and I got downstairs, and I sit in the chair that I always sit in in the morning, and, and I had a little cup of coffee, and I was going over this. I was thinking, of course, all those other things, success, money, favor, all the kind of things that, that we, we may need. We may need it or we may not need it. It depends. It depends. But, but it would be all included if I'm a co-worker with Jesus Christ. And so it was, I had a beautiful experience. It was like good for me to articulate what my spirit knew. And I was thinking about it. I said, told Tiny about it. I said, you know, I think I should tell the church about it today. I want to tell you. Because I think that's what our church wants. Whatever we talk about, we talk about even, you know, coming together, meeting on Sundays in person and all that stuff. I mean, all that is important, just like success can be important, open doors, favor, finances, whatever. It's all, but what, what this church is all about is that we want to be working with Jesus in what he is doing in the world today. We don't want to be a little minute little group that sits around and, and just kind of, you know, oohs and ahs about this and that. We, we, God raised us up to work hand in hand with Jesus. He's the chairman on the board, but we are on the committee with him, and we are working with him. And so that became so crystal clear to me, and I thought, and then... I got in here this, this morning and Pastor Nathan showed me so touched my heart. Somebody in our church had already before the service done brought a special gift, a special offering. And I thought, see, I think there are a lot of people in our church. I think many of you would just say, Peter, that's what I feel. Of course we want, we need enough, we need abundance and we need enough to live and get by. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, I want to have lived on this earth and worked with Jesus in what he was doing. And I laid that to our whole church. That's why we exist. It's not about, oh, this is now COVID and this and that and the other thing online. and this. All those things are important. But we have a greater calling. 